Welcome to the business of biotech. This is a really special episode for me that I've been looking forward to for a long time. And that's because my dear friend and dear colleague, the brilliant and lovely Aaron Harris is joining me today. Aaron, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So uh, I I, got to thank you before we move on for continuing to risk your uh, professional credibility by partnering with me on projects like this. Erin uh, is, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, she's the editor at uh, at Cell and Jean, and she's joining me on today's episode because this is the kickoff episode of a, a mini series that Erin and I are putting together on Cell and Jean uh, technologies, and it's our intent over the course of the next few weeks to interview um, leaders of Cell and Jean companies who are kind of making waves and shaping the space as it evolves. Um, we're going to explore these companies, where they fit in the landscape, what problems they're aiming to solve, and importantly, the technology and bioprocessing strategies that they're employing to reach their goals. So all that being said, we're honored and thrilled uh, today to have one of those leaders with us right now in Dr. Karsten Brun, President and CEO at Selective, Biosci- Selective Biosciences. Dr. Brun uh, did some time in uh, the pharma big leagues. Uh, after earning his PhD in chemistry from the University of Hamburg. I'm exercising my German chops here. Excellent. <laughs> he, uh, he held positions with global responsibilities at Eli Lilly, Novartis, Bausch & Lomb, and ultimately took on the role of president of the Americas at, well, I think we pronounce it Bayer, but you would say Bayer. Excellent. Yes, you're absolutely right, uh, Matt. <laughs> Dr. Brun, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt, and your German pronunciation is outstanding. I'm impressed. Oh, I've only just begun. I've only just begun <laughs> to embarrass myself with, with the German. So I've got I've to start the conversation with this question, Dr. Brun. Uh, you're, you're president of the Americas at, at Bayer, and that's a, by anyone's uh, kind of position, that's, a, that's a, a very safe place to be. It's a safe place to be. It's a good place to be at, at your point in your career. Why take the risk on Selecta? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. Um, I think life is not always about being in a safe place. Um, it is, you know, uh, what difference you want to make in the world. Um, and I was, you know, as you said in, in the intro, my background actually is uh, in science, even though so I worked the majority of my career um, on the commercial side. Uh, prior to, uh, you know, moving back to the U.S., I was in Japan for four years and very much involved in early science. Actually, we were one of the first companies to set up an open innovation center in Japan um, with the University of Kyoto. Um, we worked with President Yamanaka, who won the Nobel Prize um, for his work on, on IPS uh, technology-induced pluripotent uh, stem cells. So I was, you know, very always very interested on the science side. And moving to uh, the U.S. role, uh, we, we actually do have a, or Bayer had a uh, open innovation center in, in Cambridge. We got quite involved with a number of companies and realized, you know, this work is a lot closer to the science. It's a lot closer to patients. Um, and you can actually make, you know, a bigger difference um, as the organizations are smaller, it's faster decision-making. Um, and that really, um, you know, got me to rethink kind of my priorities and, you uh, and I decided to to move back. And I've, I haven't always worked in big organizations. I I, I worked in uh, in a small biotech before in Switzerland, actually. Um, and I worked in a, a, a private backed uh, company, midsize Bausch and Lomb. So I wasn't always in 
with the large companies, but I've always enjoyed the entrepreneurial side of things. And, and I think even my time when I was, and as you said, I did time when I was at uh, in Big Pharma, I never had the typical, you know, big staffs. And uh, I always worked very, you know, like, like very um, pragmatic, not very bureaucratic. And so the transition actually was fairly easy, but uh, it was really to be closer to science, uh, be closer to patients and, and, and have an impact. So it was a fairly easy decision to make, to be honest. Yeah. Was that a, was was the move? Uh, so aside from moving from big to small, was there an element of the move that was was a little bit riskier, different for you, given uh, your move into like a, a, a concerted move into uh, cell and gene? Yeah, so I mean, definitely, I mean, moving to biotech is always risky. And actually, when I joined Selecta, I joined in, in a little bit of a difficult situation where we had quite a financial overhang. So we had to refinance the company. We had to um, look at the strategy again. Uh, at the time, we're positioned um, as a almost like a uh, gout spec farm company and not as a high science company, you know, coming out of MIT and Harvard. So that's quite, quite a bit of work that needed to be done. Uh, and there's always the risk to run out of money. So yeah, you 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 financially you take uh, financial you know risk obviously, um, but it's also extremely rewarding if you're able to turn around and uh, and and have an impact actually. So um, so yes, there is risk, but I, I think it's very calculated. Obviously, um, you know one of the reasons I joined Selecta it's a it's a platform technology which is applicable very broadly. Um, you know very strong science foundation. Uh, very strong team. So, you know, I think it was it was a calculated risk. But yeah, there is risk uh, uh, moving to a small organization. If you're a big pharma, a cash runway is not something that you talk about. Sure. Dr. Brune, this is Aaron. Uh, I know I'm not on video, but uh, hopefully you guys can hear me just fine. Uh, my, I don't know or have never taken a lick of German, so please excuse me as I try to pronounce some of these words. <laughs> um, but interestingly enough, regarding Selecta, um, you know, certainly wanted to get into the the you know the real nitty gritty of the science into the gene therapy with which you're working. Um, talk to us a little bit about the specifically the immunogenicity of the AAV vectors challenge that gene therapy companies are facing. You know, what is it? What's going on? And you know, what solutions are out there specifically as, you know, Selecta is addressing it. Yeah. So, I mean, gene therapy has made tremendous progress, right? I mean, there was a lot of question marks in the past and um, and I think there's a number of products on the market. Um, there's been a lot of M&A activities. So it's kind of gotten mainstream in the sense, also big pharma getting in, uh, in this business. And what has emerged, at least for in vivo applications that AV vectors are used primarily um, in in vivo, um, and they are highly immunogenic, which means that if a patient's exposed um, to the AV um, capsid once, they develop very high titers of neutralizing antibodies, um, which means they cannot be given a second dose, right? Um, and mm -hmm. AV vectors are actually not self-replicating. Um, that means they dilute over time um, and you lose, in simple terms, you lose the therapeutic benefit over time as well. And you cannot give a second dose currently. So that's really one of the key limitations, actually, um, with AV vectors um, that you, you have such high titers of antibodies that you can dose a second time 
once the expression of the transgene goes down. Um, so, and that, that need we're trying to address with our technology. Great, okay, and, and where specific, now who specifically is receiving this treatment? Where are we with the trials? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, maybe I step back a little bit. Um, in terms of um, Selecta itself is an immune tolerance platform company. So we apply our technology, which is, which is called Imtor, uh, to a number of different areas. So we actually have already one asset in a different area in phase three uh, clinical trials. So there's quite a bit of safety data available um, already. Um, but specifically for, for gene therapy, uh, we are in the uh, preclinical phase. Uh, we have, I would say, fairly compelling data uh, in rodents and non-human primates uh, where we were able to show that if you combine our platform technology with an AV vector, you're able to prevent the formation of those mutant antibodies, basically, that um, make it impossible to give a second dose. Uh, we have also demonstrated that we can give a second dose um, and express the transgene. So for us, really, the next step is to go into the clinic, and uh, we plan to dose the first patient um, in the first half of uh, 2021, so next year. Um, we plan to file an IND in uh, Q1, the first quarter, and then dose the pay first patient in the second, uh, in the second quarter um, in a uh, rare disease called um, MMA, um, which is a methylmalonic acidemia, which is a uh, rare inborn metabolic disease um, that affects kids. Um, so that's really the, the, the big next step for us um, to actually get into a clinical proof of concept. Um, but I think the advantage we do have is that we have over 200 patients dosed already with a technology and a different indication, which just gives actually good, a good safety uh, database. Dr. Brun, the, uh, the mTOR platform, um, as I understand it, I mean, it's your intention to, to make this platform available to, um, you know, any number of, of gene therapy companies that face this AAV uh, vectors challenge. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's okay. correct. So what are, what are the, like, um, what's that market look like from a size of market standpoint for Selecta? I mean, do you, is, is the world kind of your oyster right now? Are there a whole, whole, whole bunch of companies out there that you could partner with to move this thing forward? Or uh, is the market limited based on uh, the, the specific uh, indications that, that these, these challenges are? Um, no. So, I mean, um, you, you face those challenges in most uh, gene therapy indications. Um, you know, there might be a couple of exceptions. If you look at uh, gene therapy in the eye, um, that's an immune privileged space. So there is not really a need uh, for this. Um, uh, but in, in, I would say in all the, the liver-based diseases, at least, uh, which many of those diseases are liver-based um, uh, or neuromuscular disorders. Um, so it's, it's a pretty big market and pretty much every company that's using AV uh, is basically experienced this. Now, it's interesting when you have some of the other folks um, uh, on this show in the next couple of weeks, it'll be interesting to see their level of acknowledgement because oftentimes uh, in the past, it was more, can we make this work? Yes or no? And the answer is yes. So gene therapy works. But now there's a couple of limitations and one is that you can redose actually. So, um, yeah. and I think gene therapy companies have been somewhat slow to uh, uh Accept that, but I mean, there have been a couple of, I think, wake-up calls from the FDA as well. 
Uh, Biomarine, for example, received a um, uh, you know complete response letter on their HEMA product due to the durability issues, which shows that it's really on the radar of the FDA as well. And if you look at the FDA gene therapy guidance, I mean, they're pointing out that durability um, is something that needs to be um, addressed clearly. Mm -hmm. I, uh, <laughs> those of you on video may have noticed me smirking just a minute ago. That's because for the second time today, while recording a podcast, our uh, fire alarms have decided to, to go off in the building. I don't know if you guys can hear that. Miles and I here in the studio are going to press on as if you can't. And I'm going to assume that our engineers can remove that sound in post-production. So we will move forward. But I apologize for that disruption. Not a problem. I can't hear, to be honest. I'm glad to hear we that. Can. We cannot hear anything. Uh, Dr. Brun, I have a question for you. Uh, as you go forward, we so on Celagene, we talk quite a bit about manufacturing. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that plays into exactly what you're doing with mTOR and, you know, just educate us a little bit about the manufacturing side of this? Yeah, no, um, Aaron, manufacturing is, is critically important, right? And it's oftentimes the bottleneck for especially small companies. They got a great technology, but you can't manufacture it. Um, so we, you know, we're somewhat lucky in, in that respect. Actually, our first employee, actually, Lloyd Johnston, who is our head of manufacturing, um, he really scaled up the process uh, to manufacture uh, Imtor to commercial scale already. So uh, we developed the process in-house. Um, we have it outsourced now to a, a CMO um, commercial scale um, that manufacturing now for, for the phase three. We're running in a different indication um, so that's that's absolutely critical. Uh, obviously, we don't have gene therapy manufacturing, so we're looking for companies um, to to provide this. Um, and and you know a number of the companies we have partnerships with actually do have in-house manufacturing. Um, but for mm -hmm. the in-tour side of things, we we do have um, this process scaled up. And and as you said, it is critically important. Um, and you know the nanoparticles um, that Intor is comprised of. Uh, are quite tricky to manufacture. So, um, and, and having a well-established process uh, is is critical um, to to move this, you know, into the clinic and then, and then all the way to approval, obviously. The business of biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial, organizational human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A lifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. Sure, the... The well-established process that you just mentioned, um, you know, to date, what would you say are the, the top components of that process? Have you perfected it? And if not, as you move into your next steps, as you mentioned in 2021, uh, throughout Q1, is there anything that needs to change or to be, you know, progressed a little bit? You know, where are we with that? Yeah, so... Um I make this sound so easy. Um, this this was a lot of trial and error, and you know this was actually before uh, before I joined, uh, just to get a formulation to work. 
and then scale it up obviously is is tremendous work um, but the the process actually is um, is already scaled up um, so we we actually are manufacturing already Imtor four to phase three uh, and are also now um, you know it, it's more regulatory work now to to get this um, you know FDA um, certified if you like uh, full GDP. Sure. Um, but the actual process um, has been, you know, has been completed, and and I make it sound very simple. And it it took it took uh, you know many years actually to to perfect this. But it is critical to the success of our our business model that we're able to manufacture actually Imtor in a reproducible fashion. Dr. Bruin, as you Sorry. move as you move forward, I mean, you could conceivably uh, find yourself in in like multiple, multiple uh, clinical scenarios at the same time, right? As you partner with more gene therapy companies, make your technology available to, to the broader market. Um, do, do you anticipate any scallop challenges as it relates to that? I mean, you, you know, as I said, as, as the space expands, so too could MTOR and, and Selecta at pace. Yeah, no, it, it's a great question. And I, I always say, um, Partnerships are like marriage, right? They require a lot of work, and it doesn't ma- it doesn't matter whether it's a large, you know, like we have a large licensing deal with our partner Sobe, um, or you have a smaller, you know, just a research collaboration. They actually do take a lot of work. Uh, we are a fairly, I would say, uh, nimble and small company. We're about forty folks at the moment, um, and it, it does indeed take quite a lot of time to manage those um, relationships, partnerships. And there is obviously tremendous complexity once you are in the clinic. Um, and we actually, um, which is a little bit unusual, we uh, we outlicensed our, our gout asset, which is a combination of mTOR with a highly immunogenic enzyme to SOBI um, for commercialization. But we actually are running the phase three on their behalf. So we actually are running a international phase three, two phase three trials right now. Um, which is, you know, which is quite a task for a small organization. And the more partnerships you have, um, the, the more complexity you have. So you, I think you have to be very mindful, uh, you know, what kind of partnerships you want to get into and, and, and be very clear up front that you have the bandwidth to manage them. Do you anticipate that being the case that as you move into more clinical relationship, cl- clinical uh, engagements with with more of your your partners, that you'll be directly involved in uh, in running the, the the clinical trials? Yeah, I mean, not always. Um, to to give you an example, I mean, we we uh, uh, struck a partnership with Sarepta in June this year, um, and uh, we you know all the work we have done so far was in liver based diseases and. Uh, Sarepta, obviously being a leader in neuromuscular disorders, want to try where the mTOR works also in neuromuscular disorders like uh, DMD or limb, certain types of limb girdle. Um, so they're actually going to do the majority of the work. So we only provide mTOR um, and they do the actual lab work. Um, but it still requires, um, there are still coordination meetings and you want to make sure that mTOR is used in the right context as well. You don't want to have a safety issue come up. So, um, but you're right. I mean, we're not always in a driver's seat to, to actually execute um, the trials. But as I said, I mean, even those um, partnerships where you don't actually uh, do the work in the lab, they still require quite a bit of management attention um, and, and coordination work. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what, what do you look for beyond a, a good, um, 
I guess, technical or, or scientific match? What do you look for in, in a partner? Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great question as well. And and obviously, I mean, you're looking for a, you know a, a good fit um, from a technology perspective. But really, what uh, it boils down to is the the personal relationships. It's it's really, as I said up front, like in the marriage a little bit. I mean, you want to make sure that you know you actually work well together because companies have you know different cultures. Of very different sizes. I mean, um, you know, Sarepta is a fairly large biotech. We're fairly small, um, and so I think that's that's an important consideration. Is there a good cultural fit? Um, and I can give you a, a, a great example. Actually, I mean, you know, it's it's amazing the deals you can get done during times of COVID via Zoom. Actually, I mean, the the deal we the licensing deal for our lead asset with Sobi was completely done via Zoom, right? And, but even there, it's extremely important that you, you build a relationship of trust. And I think that component is critical. It is more than upfronts and, and, and contractual uh, considerations. I think um, there, there are plenty of partnerships out there that should be theoretically successful, but they're not because the two companies don't work well together. Um, so we always have it as a key consideration, especially as a small company, um, it is critical for us that we, we do have a good working relationship um, because we don't have the infrastructure to to manage this. Large organization have alliance managers and large BD teams. Um, you know, with us, we have a small program management function and the, the CFO and, and, and myself oftentimes do manage their relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zoom has been, uh, you know, lo- lo- it's sort of a love-hate relationship. Like I'm sure Aaron is is cursing Zoom out right now because we lost our connection with <laughs> with Aaron on Zoom today. But at the same time, I know. Yeah, our 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 kickoff our kickoff interview, and I'm I'm only on audio, but that's okay. Uh, so, Dr. Brun, in addition to Sarepta, you know, what are some of the other gene com- gene therapy companies uh, that you're collaborating with, and and what are you working on together with them? Yeah, so we have a um, a, a pretty uh, broad partnership with Ask Bio, which um, is or was, I should say, was a leading private uh, gene therapy company uh, based in North Carolina, uh, founded by Jude Zamalski, one of the pioneers in in gene therapy. Uh, they got recently acquired by my old <laughs> my old company, actually by Bayer. Yeah, um, that was like one of the. Was that not like the the largest uh, uh, selling gene acquisition? Like in in his, it was a giant acquisition, wasn't it? Big money. Yeah, I don't think it was the biggest, but it was it was. I mean, four billion is a is a you know is a sizable yeah. uh, acquisition price, obviously. Um, and um, so. Yeah, it's ironic a little bit that we have a partnership now with Bayer, actually. Even so, um, Aspire is, is, and the you know the acquisition is not through, obviously. Um, but so we have a uh, we have two um, partnerships with Aspire. One is a straight licensing deal where we gave exclusive rights uh, to Imtor uh, for Aspire's lead indication in Pompe disease. Um, and, and the reason why this is a classical licensing deal, I mean, this is already actually in the clinic. Um, so this was more, you know, that train left the station to really partner 50-50. But we also have a true strategic partnership uh, where we share, um, you know, all the costs and uh, we plan to co-develop and co-commercialize um, a number of indication. And the first being uh, MMA, which I mentioned uh, earlier. 
Um, and and what makes Asbio a, a great partner is that they actually do have in-house manufacturing, and that oftentimes is a bottleneck. And I'm, I'm sure you'll hear this in the next couple of weeks that manufacturing and gene therapy is is on a critical path. Um, and then they also have a best-in-class um, capsid library, uh, and their tech, their IP has been pretty much uh, in every approved product to date. Um, so they're they're a great partner, and 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 that's a pretty broad partnership, um, as I mentioned. Um, and it is now with Bayer. We'll have to see how this is going to evolve. Uh, I've been assured that there are no short-term kind of implications, and obviously, like often in those cases. You know, Aspire is is uh, run at arm's length, obviously, to not lose the innovative character and the, and the fast uh, and the speed uh, of decision making. Um, but that's that's a I would say that's that's a very important uh, partnership for us as uh, we'll have uh, you know the first uh, patient dose next year and also have data um, as a human proof of concept. That's really a critical partnership uh, for us. Sure, as beyond Ask Bio. Um, you know, as you look into the future here, are you looking for or do you need additional partnerships? And if so, you know, what what are you still looking to, who are you still looking to, if you can name them? And if not, that's okay. Uh, but, you know, how, how are you going to round this out, basically? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I can't comment on any kind of VD activities, but um, I think it's, it's important that, uh, you know, obviously, um, it's always desirable to have your own products. Uh, from a valuation mm-hmm. for for a biotech, so we, we do have a proprietary program uh, in that we're it's wholly owned in OTC deficiency, which is another rare inborn metabolic disease in kids, um, and so there's definitely um, you know a, a desire to have our own products and potentially even license some products in as well down the line. But but partnerships are critically important, obviously as a platform company, you can pursue everything. Um, we would like to pursue indications where we think there's a great fit. Um, a, you know, like a rare indication where we can develop this uh, either by ourselves or with a partner like uh, like an Ask Bio. But of course, there's there's also the opportunity to partner with larger company as well. And um, that's you know like we've done with Sarepta. I mean, we've kind of partnered with the leader uh, in the neuromuscular space. Um, so I think mm-hmm. business development will be always uh, as part of the equation. Um, but we don't want to be a partnered-only company either. So we definitely want to retain rights to indications that we feel are interesting for us uh, of high value and that we can commercialize ourselves as well. I think that's important. Uh, it sounds like you're, you're buttering both sides of the bread there, Dr. Brune. I like it. I like it. <laughs> you I'm trying, know. Matt, trying. <laughs> <laughs> partner with companies. I mean, that, yeah, what a, what a fortuitous, fortuitous uh, time to partner with Ask in advance of that bear acquisition, yeah. which was such a testament to the to, to the uh, value of this space, I think, to, yeah. to bio moving forward. It's an incredible time, and your, your company's in, a, in, a, in an incredible place, I think, on the, on the landscape. Take yeah, advantage. I think we're in a unique position for now, that's right. But, you know, um, biotech uh, lives with data, so we'll have to generate data now to show human proof of concept. But we, we are indeed, I think, well-positioned um, to leverage our technology and, and, and make a real impact in, in gene therapy. I mean, we're not a classical gene therapy company, but we can really, uh, you know, transform, help transform and, and, and ensure that, you know, more patients can be, can benefit from gene therapy. Yeah, indeed. Yep. 
Uh, what's the next big step for Selective? We're running running short on time here, so I want to give you an opportunity to give us some concluding thoughts on uh, what's next for Selecta and um, and where you're headed from here. Yeah. So obviously our next big thing is gene therapy and generating data. I think that's really the next uh, big thing for us. And, and 2021 is going to be a critical year for us uh, where we are, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, uh, knock on wood, we'll have some initial data. So that's, that's really big for us. And that opens up a lot of, you know, different um, uh, avenues for us in terms of partnerships, having our own products. Um, I, I would say that's very important. But also, you know, being a platform company, and we didn't talk really about a lead asset, which is in chronic effective gut, obviously a very different area. But there we have demonstrated that we're able to combine a highly immunogenic enzyme with mTOR, which means this enzyme you can give alone, basically, you know, and with mTOR, it's tolerated and you can give it over, over a couple of months. And we're trying to replicate this now in, in additional indications. Um, so we're also excited um, to combine mTOR with an IgA protease, which is a um, bacterial protease, also highly immunogenic, uh, which we intend to use to treat IgA nephropathy, which is a significant amount of medical need. Um, very similar principle to our first acid in gout. In gout, you're basically trying to debulk patients of zeroic acid deposits they have mm -hmm. uh, in tissue. Uh, in IgA nephropathy, you're trying to uh, basically um, debulk patients of IgA1 um, uh, deposits in the kidney, actually. So it's a very similar. So that's, that's big for us as well to really uh, transfer the learnings that we had uh, on, onto other um, onto other uh, therapeutic areas. And we're also expanding into autoimmune diseases as well. So we are trying to uh, address uh, a, a company, a um, indication, uh, liver-based indication, uh, uh, primary biliary cholangitis. Uh, we're basically trying to restore tolerance to an autoantigen. So that's basically the next step, almost the holy grail uh, in immunology. You're trying to restore uh, self-tolerance of the body to something where you developed an, uh, an autoimmune disease. But that's a bit further down, obviously. I mean, in terms of real clinical milestones, it's gene therapy, it's, uh, it's IgA nephropathy. Um, and, you know, and as I said in, in the intro, um, as, a, as a biotech, you're always judged by your, your run rate. And we, through a deal with Sobi, we actually do have um, cash to execute in all those programs. Uh, into early 2023. So uh, the next year is going to be critical for us and transformation for us. I'd say, I mean, well, well positioned in that, you know, I've, I haven't been around the block too many times in my role here, but I've been around the block enough times to, to have picked up on the value of, uh, of of diversity, breadth, and having many shots on goal. And it sounds like your, your company is, is certainly well positioned in that manner. We sure hope so, yeah. I mean, uh, as I said, obviously we're going to be judged by our data at the end, but we're very excited for, for the year to come. Cool. We'll be paying attention. We'll be watching. And uh, and I'm sure you'll, you'll want to pay attention to this mini-series too because we're, we're going to be talking to a whole bunch of uh, super interesting cell and gene companies that might be of interest. I'll be following indeed, yes, for sure. Dr. Brun, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you and, and an honor, and we appreciate your time. Thanks Thank so much for having that. me, and thanks for having me on your first uh, edition of this. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. So that's Aaron Harris and Dr. Karsten Brun. I'm Matt Piller. This is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online and sponsored by Cytiva, which offers a ton of resources for new and emerging biotechs at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. 
Check us out at bioprocessonline.com. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.